May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of these scriptures. Amen. You may be seated. So do any of you like to watch like home renovation shows like on HGTV or TLC or DIY? We all like those, don't we? We like those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes they're just redoing part of the house or they're like redoing the landscaping or they're putting in a pool. Those are all interesting. But sometimes they're re renovating an entire house. There was one I used to watch all the time. I haven't watched it in a while, but it's called Good Bones. And it's a mother and a daughter, and they're in, like, Indianapolis. And the premise of the show is that they would buy these really, really run-down houses that had good bones uh, but needed to be restored. And, of course, the mother and daughter, they look alike. They have good bones. You know, it's a, it's a whole play on words. But sometimes they would buy houses that had to be gutted and then rebuilt inside in order to be restored. And then there's that couple, that really cute couple from Mississippi, from Laurel, is it Laurel, Mississippi? And I think their show is Hometown. I mean, and they do whole houses too. It's just, a, just amazing what they can do. You know, it takes a certain amount of optimism to take on a restoration project like that. You have to have hope that it's going to turn out well and that your investment of time and money won't be wasted. And of course, the best part of all shows is the reveal, right? When you get to see what they've done with the renovation. And when it's time for the reveal, they all do the same thing. They make the homeowners turn their backs to the renovation or they make them cover their eyes. You know, they're just trying to build suspense. And the homeowners and us, the audience, you know, will remind us how terrible the place looked and how unrealistic the homeowner's dreams were and how fool they really were to buy such an ugly old thing and how many thousands and thousands of dollars went into the renovation. And then they will say, so-and-so, are you ready to see your new home? And cut to commercial every time. Is Advent. That is Advent. The renovation project is this world. The renovation project is us. It's you and it's me. And it's the kind of renovation that people look at and go, nope, beyond repair. Not worth the time and effort, but God looks at what we need, at what the world needs, and God says, good bones, definitely worth the effort, definitely worth what it's going to cost me. Oh, rough spot right there, might need to, you know, gut and restore that greedy heart, but I, I can do it, I can do it. God looks at the world and says, this world needs to be restored but it's definitely worth saving. In fact, God says, I'm going to handle this myself. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus, God incarnate, came to us, and the renovation project entered a new phase. Our restoration started. But the full reveal still awaits us. We're in that already and not yet. God has already come, but the kingdom of God is not yet fully realized. The full restoration of everything is coming. The fully realized kingdom of God is on its way. But we are living in that commercial break. <laughs> We're waiting to see the final reveal. And while we wait, the forces of the world want us to see how terrible this place looks. <laughs> And how unrealistic dreams of peace and justice are. 
And how foolish God is to stand with creatures as broken as us. The forces of this world want us to see what it's going to cost God to restore us. And they want us to ask, are we worth it? Are we worth God going, Jesus going from the manger to the cross? An Advent reminder that God says again, again, yes, yes, yes. But we can see the trouble that we're in in this commercial break as we wait in the meantime. We yearn for more and more of God's presence in our world, in our nation, in our church, in our families, in ourselves. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, we say, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Make your name known, Lord. Make the nations tremble at your presence. The prophet is desperate. God, you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hands of our sin. In other words, God, it kind of looks like we're getting exactly what we deserve and we don't like it. Lord, help us. You see, Advent doesn't begin with the birth of baby Jesus. Advent ends, actually, with Christmas, with the birth of Jesus. Advent begins with our need for a Savior. Advent begins with our need for a renovation. Advent is God seeing that need and doing something about it. We know the longings of the Old Testament prophets, including Isaiah. We know that those longings are ultimately fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. But we also feel our own need and our own longings for a Savior still today. So we prepare to celebrate Jesus' birth, and we prepare for Jesus to return. We know that everything will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. We live in that already and not yet. We live in the meanwhile. We live in the commercial break. And sometimes this is a hard place to be. Now, you guys know I don't normally preach in a t-shirt. I I always wear my bow, but I chose to wear this t-shirt today. I bought this shirt two weeks ago. I went with about 25 other United Methodists from here in town, uh, and we went on a peace and justice pilgrimage to Montgomery, Alabama. I think I'm supposed to say Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, a lot of really important anti-racist work, right? It was where um, MLK was one of the just so much of our civil rights history happened and was based right there in Montgomery. And these days, Montgomery is home to the Equal Justice Initiative, the EJI, which is born from the work of Brian Stevenson. And he, he wrote the book Just Mercy, which became the movie Just Mercy. And all of that is based on his work defending folks on death row. And the Equal Justice Initiative challenges racial and economic injustice. And it, they provide lawyers to people who, who have been treated unfairly in the system and, and who have been abused in jails and prisons. EJI is committed to ending mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the U.S., and they they challenge racial and economic injustice to protect basic human rights for the most vulnerable in American society, people of all races. They're working on behalf of all people. They're doing important, difficult 
work. In Montgomery, I went to EJI's Memorial for Peace and Justice, and I went to the Legacy Museum. And the museum tells the story of Black people in America. And this may be a story that you think you know, but I can just say, as for me, there was a lot I did not know, and it revealed to me that I have a lot still to learn. In the museum, you learn about trade. I knew about that, right? But then the museum also documents how when the transatlantic slave trade ended, then we had a domestic slave trade industry. And actually, that dramatically increased the number of enslaved people here in the U.S. because now there were rules that said if you were a child born in the United States but to enslaved parents or to even one enslaved parent, then you were also enslaved from birth. In 1808, when Congress outlawed the transatlantic slave trade, uh, there were about a million enslaved people living in the United States. But when it became illegal to bring enslaved people into the country, slavery did not end. In fact, the number of enslaved people in the United States tripled, or some sources would even say quadrupled, after the end of the transatlantic slave trade because of the domestic slave trade. And the domestic slave trade was possible because people were convinced or allowed themselves to believe that black people were inferior. That's the truth of it. That there was a very flawed belief that having darker skin made someone less intelligent, less able to feel pain, less able to have human emotions, as if, as if a darker person was somehow less human. The Legacy Museum documents that. And it shows how after uh, the 1863 emancipation proclamation by President Lincoln and after the ratification of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which outlaw slavery, uh, how, uh, and that happened in 1865, how even after those things happened, racism persisted. And racism is a sin. We say that very plainly uh, in our United Methodist Book of Discipline. Racism is a sin. So there were laws following during, during the Reconstruction time after the 13th Amendment, after the Emancipation Proclamation, there were laws that targeted black men and then re-enslaved them. Because remember, the 13th Amendment says slavery is not allowed except as punishment for a crime. So if you were arrested, you could then be re-enslaved. And then Reconstruction also involved the realities of of, of folks of color having no housing and no savings and no education. And then after Reconstruction, we had Jim Crow. And through all of that time, from Reconstruction through World War II, there were thousands of Black Americans, men, women, and children, who were the victims of racial terror. At least, at least 4,400 Men, women, and yes, children were lynched in the United States. There was one photograph in particular in the museum that has absolutely haunted me for the last two weeks. And it was this photograph. And I really debated about whether or not to show it. And then during Sunday school, I felt convicted that we should look at this photograph together. This is from a lynching in Oklahoma in 1911. 
You can see there are spectators gathered there on the bridge and hanging under them are two bodies. That's a woman, Laura Nelson, and her 14-year-old son, L.D. Apparently, uh, Laura's husband, L.D.'s dad, was wanted by the police for stealing a cow. And so the police came to their home, and when Laura opened the door, they noticed that there was a rifle hanging on the wall. And so the police said that they wanted her to turn over the weapon. And she said, I have a right to bear arms. I'm not going to turn over the weapon. I'm not pointing at anyone. It's safely displayed. You can't have my gun. And the police wanted the gun. So they entered the house, and a struggle ensued. Laura tried to keep them from taking the gun. LD stepped in to help his mom. The gun went off. Tragically, very tragically, a police officer, um, Deputy Sheriff Loney, was killed. And no one knew who had pulled the trigger. It all happened in the course of the struggle. Um, But Laura and LD were arrested for the death of Deputy Sheriff Loney. But then, shortly before midnight, an angry mob broke into the jail kidnapped Laura, kidnapped L.D. Reports are that Laura was raped repeatedly, and then they were both murdered and hung from this bridge, the old Schoolton Bridge. In the words of Isaiah, O Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down, make your name known. A man named George Henry Farnham took at least four photographs of Laura and Eldie hanging from that bridge. And then he turned them into postcards and sold them. And that's how we still have this image. And the postcards communicated what all lynchings were meant to communicate, which is you better stay in your place. And the postcards were a reminder that the rule of law really didn't matter. Remember, they were in jail. They were kidnapped from the jail. They were taken from the custody of the police, and they were murdered. A mother and her 14-year-old son. It's too much, Lord. So the Legacy Museum tells stories of folks like Laura and LD, but it's really the memorial for peace and justice that help me understand the scale of these lynching crimes and that really got to me. I knew that lynchings had happened. Of course, I knew that, but I thought they were like isolated incidents or like pockets of incidents that had happened. Each of these pillars, and Tyler's actually going to play a video for you. It doesn't have any sound. He's just going to play a video trying to show you like the, the, the scope of this. Each of these pillars represents not a person. Each pillar is not one person who was lynched. Each pillar is a county where a lynching happened. Some of the pillars have only one name. Most of the pillars have multiple names. One pillar has more than 20 names. It's a lot of people. The plaque for, uh, or the pillar for Lena County has four names on it. 
along the way with these pillars, as you move through the museum, there are plaques that tell you the stories of why some people were lynched, the reasons that were given for the lynchings. Go back, because I wanna, I wanna read each of them, Tyler. A black construction worker was lynched at Camp Blanding, Florida in 1941. Doesn't that feel like it was just yesterday? In 1941, for insisting, the nerve of him, insisting that a white co-worker return his shovel. Lacey Mitchell was lynched in Thomasville, Georgia in 1930 for testifying against a white man who was accused of raping a black woman. The justice system isn't for you, they wanted him to know, right? This is not for you, you're not, you're not in your place. Elizabeth Lawrence was lynched in Birmingham, Alabama in 1933 for reprimanding white children who threw rocks at her. Anthony Crawford was lynched in Abbeville, South Carolina in 1916 for rejecting a white merchant's bid for cotton seed. He had no place in the economy, right? Bird Cooper was lynched in Claiborne Parish, Louisiana in 1908 after he, after, after he was acquitted of murder charges. After a white man attempted to assault Jack Brownlee's daughter in Oxford, Alabama in 1894, Mr. Brownlee was lynched for having the man arrested for trying to use the justice system. Jim Eastman was lynched in Brunswick, Tennessee in 1887 for not allowing a white man to beat him in a fight. And then I think this is the last one that I have for you. After Calvin, is it Milton? Yeah, after Calvin Mike voted Calhoun County, Georgia in 1884, a white mom mob attacked and burned his home, lynching his elderly mother and his two young daughters, Emma and Lily. It is overwhelming. It is not okay. America is better than this. Well, I started the story by telling you I bought a t-shirt, right? So uh, my t-shirt says, injustice prevails where hopelessness persists. Hope is your power. In the midst of all of these pillars, marking these tragic deaths. In the midst of that dark reminder, in the midst of the hard truth of the Legacy Museum, there was this reminder, because I bought this shirt there. Injustice prevails where hopelessness persists. Hope is your superpower. We lit the hope candle today because hope is our superpower. We lit the hope candle today because while we're here in the meantime, while we're in the already but not yet, when we're in this commercial break, we still have reason to hope. Scripture reminds us to have hope. Our yearnings will not be wasted. We can take comfort and find inspiration in the hope that God will find 
find a way to break through. The lesson of Advent is that when this commercial break is over, God will prevail. God will get God's way. This is not the kingdom of God, right? This legacy is not the kingdom of God. As we heard in the Gospel of Mark, in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven. God is going to come and shake the earth up. The stars are going to fall from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then, then they will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming in clouds with great power and glory. Therefore, keep awake, keep awake, keep awake. Mark says it three times, keep awake. Jesus is coming back, y'all. <laughs> in a few minutes, we're going to sing our closing hymn, which is a mandatory during Advent. It's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Remember, the word Emmanuel means God with us. O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Until when? Until the Son of God appears. If we didn't know that the big reveal was coming, if we weren't preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus and the return of Jesus, we would just stop right there. We would be mourning in lonely exile, waiting for the Son of God to appear. If our renovation show, our God story, stopped at the commercial break, if we were people who would allow hopelessness to persist, that's where we'd be left, in lonely exile, begging for transformation, begging to be restored, begging for God to see that we have good bones in us. But we know the big reveal is coming. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. As we stand in the midst of this messy renovation space, this messy renovation project that God is at work in, we can see that we need God to come into this world in a mighty and undeniable way. Good news, God did exactly that and God will do it again. As I stood amidst these pillars, that's how I felt. Come, Lord Jesus, come. This world needs saving. Save us from ourselves. I felt like I need to be saved. Lord, how do, this is my country. How do I not know these stories? I looked at all the pillars that were from places that I had lived, right? I didn't know those stories. Now I do. Sometimes it's hard to live in this already and not yet time. So as we endure this commercial break, we, we need to be a light in the darkness. But remember, we're a light in the darkness, but we're not the source of the light. We reflect the light, the love, the hope of God. Advent reminds us that the darkness of this commercial break is not completely dark, right? We can peer through the darkness of our world, the darkness in our own lives, the darkness in ourselves, and we can find God's light because it breaks through. And in that light, we find hope, and then we can reflect that hope into the world. You know what's amazing about just a glimmer of hope? It's like a glimmer of 
the more darkness there is around it, the easier it is to see. Because the darkness cannot stop the light. The darkness cannot stop our hope. So let's do this together. This Advent, let's think of ourselves as walking glimmers of hope in this commercial break time. Everywhere we go this Advent, let's bring a glimmer of hope with us. Let's be smiling fools. Let's offer our word of kindness in the midst of the frenzy. When somebody says, happy holidays, let's respond in a kind way and say, you too. And let's mean it. Let's not be those folks. This always makes me so sad when, when people act like it's up to them to personally defend the phrase, Merry Christmas. So I'm always sad when I hear folks say, happy holidays. And then the Christian goes, I think you mean Merry Christmas. <laughs> if you can't say Merry Christmas and mean it, then just don't say it at all. <laughs> I mean, what if that clerk never encounters another Christian and they think, oh, they're so unpleasant. Why are they so unhappy? No, Merry Christmas. So as you move through this Advent season, carrying with you your glimmer of hope, notice, pay attention to where is hope missing? Where do you most long to see hope restored? Pay attention to how, how we as a congregation can bring hope to our community. Hope because Jesus came once and will come again. Hope because Jesus is with us here and now. Hope because God promises to restore us. Hope because we know the real reveal is still to come. Amen.